The woman said, Why then have you devised a thing like this against the people of God? When the king says this, does he not convict himself? For the king has not brought back his banished son. Like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But that is not what God desires. Rather, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. This is the word of the Lord. This is part of a story, uh, the, the, the sort of teaching moment that happens in the life of David here in 2 Samuel 14. Uh, last week we were in 2 Samuel 4, uh, and, and we've kind of been going through what I've been going through in part of my Old Testament readings uh, during my own personal reading time. And, and in between this last week's reading and this week's reading, uh, uh, David has brought back the, the ark to Jerusalem. David's wanted to build a house for God, uh, to put the ark in and, and to build the temple and all those things. And God has said, no, but instead I'm going to build you a house, is the promise that God gives to David, the covenant that David receives, the Davidic covenant as we talk about it, in which uh, uh, he's, he's always going to have a son sitting on the throne forever, uh, and that specifically, eventually, a son that is going to be king, but is going to be a different kind of king that's ever come before specifically Jesus, the son of David, who is going to be the fulfillment of all that David sought to do for God. And then we have uh, David's victories and, and all those things, especially after a civil war between the house of Saul and David's house and against some of David's enemies, basically a flourishing of David's kingdom and defeating the Ammonites. And then we have David becoming complacent because then we have chapter 11. Uh, where David becomes bankrupt. Get it? Uh, David <laughs> becoming bankrupt. Chapter 11, bankrupt. Never mind. Uh, where he has his interaction with Bathsheba. Most of us know that story, where, where David should have gone to war with his army, but instead he was in his palace walking on the roof, and he could see Bathsheba taking a bath on her roof at her house. And he says, I want that. And so he sends his servants to go and get her, brings her back. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. And like every other affair in the history of the world, it ends in murder because he kills Uriah the Hittite, her husband, because he, he tries to set it up to cover up his crime, to cover up his sin. And Uriah ends up being more righteous than David. And eventually David kills him by having him being killed in, in battle. And then he takes Bathsheba as his wife and doesn't think anything of it. And then Nathan shows up and does the whole parable of the rich man with so many sheep, he can't count them. But he decides to take a ewe lamb from this poor man who had who had nurtured this lamb and fed it from his table and, and, and all these things, fed it by hand uh, to, to feed a, a traveler. I always loved that image that Nathan uses, a traveler for our sin, for Satan coming to us, the deception, the temptation. And David pronounces this judgment of this, that, that this man should have to pay back fourfold. And then Nathan says that wonderful line, you are the man. And he pronounces this judgment on David to the point that, that David even says, I've sinned against the Lord. And, and Nathan says, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Meaning that you're not going to be part of the judgment, but oh, that the baby that Bathsheba's carrying, he'll be part of the judgment. But then also, eventually we find in, in David's life that 
God fulfills his judgment that he called out on this man of a fourfold, paying back fourfold what has been done. Because what ends up happening then in chapter 13, because out, out of the whole David Bathsheba saga, after this saga with, with David and Nathan, David writes Psalm 51, his his uh, uh, psalm of repentance, the, the one that, that we love during Lent. Have mercy on me, O God. Create me a clean heart. Well, suddenly we discover that David's sin has infected his parenting because his own son Amnon uh, ends up uh, falling into lust with his own sister, not his blood sister, his half-sister, because David had plenty of wives, uh, and he rapes her. And David does nothing, doesn't punish him, doesn't do anything. Tamar, the sister, ends up living at her brother's house, Absalom, in shame. Two years later, Absalom throws a party for all the sons of David, and at that party, he kills Amnon. He takes it into his own hands, the vengeance that he feels his dad should have meted out. With that, then, Absalom gets banished. David did not punish Amnon for raping his own sister, but he punishes Absalom for probably doing the thing that David should have done based off of justice and laws at that time. And so Absalom gets banished. Joab, David's right-hand man, goes and finds a woman in Tekoa and has her come and play act. And she makes up the story. She had two sons and they were fighting in a field and someone comes to break up the fight and that someone ends up getting killed by one of the sons and now there's a blood feud between the families and she's worried that her son is going to get killed even though it was an accident that that other person got killed. She wants David to to pronounce judgment to say that her son is innocent or is that, that he's safe. Uh, and David says, okay. And then... This woman says this, our reading from today. Why then have you devised a thing like this against the people of God? When the king says this, does he not convict himself? For the king has not brought back his banished son. This idea of forgiveness being extended to this unknown son of this woman that David has never seen before, and yet he's not handing over forgiveness in any way, shape, or form to his own son who in some ways meted out justice, Uh, still murder, and we don't look at it as that's a good thing, that's what should happen, but in the, of the day, they didn't have prisons, that was justice, at least justice in the eyes of Absalom, and probably justice in the eyes of Tamar, justice in the eyes of many. And then she says this wonderful line in verse 14 of chapter 14, like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. The fact that death comes to us all. But then she says, but that is not what God desires. Rather, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. This idea that within God is a realm of mercy, a realm of repentance, that our interactions with God are not a period but a comma. a a continuous interaction with him in the sense that uh, no sin is so great that God will stop being our God. No sin is so great that God will not continue his pursuit of the lost, i.e. you and me. 
And it's a beautiful picture for us here, just in this play acting, this interaction that David has with this unnamed woman that ends up having him bring Absalom back from banishment out of the, out of the kingdom. It's a beautiful verse there. Because what it does is, number one, it shows that even the most godly of kings to, to have walked the face of the earth as a real king, King David, a man after God's own heart, is a dirty, rotten scoundrel, a sinner. He's a bad father, probably a bad husband. He, he was a thief, all sorts of things. And yet God never turned his back on him, including giving him a covenant even in the midst of all his sin. And what we learn from that is that God's promises stand, that God's promises for us are what are the truth that we have to hold on to. The fact that God speaks to us of promises such as uh, when he says, though he dies, yet he shall live. Because I live, you shall live also. This, This promise of resurrection that comes in Jesus Christ. The promise of the forgiveness of sins because Jesus pronounces forgiveness even from the cross when he's dying. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The promise of the forgiveness of sins because God desires for repentance. He desires for hearts to turn to him. And and that is the work that he continues to do in us as he forms us, as the Spirit comes into us and transforms our hearts and, and causes us to desire to follow him. That is the way of repentance, and that is the way of restoration. That is the way of of sanctification and justification, this working of God in us to, to make us his own. And that is what we see here in this portion of the life of David and what we can take away from it for us is the fact that, you know what? You are going to fail tomorrow in some way, shape, or form, whether it's at parenting, in your relationship with your spouse, in your relationship with your parents, in relationship with your friends, your co-workers, with God, whatever the case may be, somehow at some point you are not going to be successful tomorrow. But God is your story. God is the emphasis of your life. God is where we continue to turn over and over and over again because we need his mercy and his pity, as our prayer talks about. And we need his merciful, gracious gift of grace in the times in which we break his commandments, even though we're walking in them. All so that we might partake in his heavenly treasure, the promise of life in his name life in Christ, the forgiveness of all our sins because we are sinners. And the fact that life is one in which it always continuously should be causing us to turn to him because we should be able to look in the mirror and realize that we are not enough without him. And we're never going to be enough, but enoughness, who we are, comes from Christ, comes from God the one who does not banish us, but holds us close through the cross, through nail-pierced hands, through a hill outside of Jerusalem where 2,000 years ago Jesus Christ was given to die for you and for his sake God forgives you all your sin. Let us pray. O God, who declares thy almighty power most chiefly in showing mercy and pity, mercifully grant unto us such a measure of thy grace that we, running the way of thy commandments, may obtain thy gracious promises and be made partakers of thy heavenly treasure.
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, church, go in peace, serve the Lord. We'll see you tomorrow.